This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. As we continue our series on healing gardens and therapeutic landscapes, this week we're joined by Matthew J. Wachrowski, MSWHTR, Clinical Assistant Professor in the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine and Senior Horticultural Therapist at Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU's Langoni Health. Matt has been on the ground and in the field for the length of his career, and he offers us insights on its impact and its importance. Welcome, Matt. Well, I, I thank you very much for your invitation. I'm, I'm quite honored to be, be part of this series. What does this mean? What do you do with plants and with horticultural therapy on a day-to-day basis currently in your life, Matt? Well, as a horticultural therapist, I use uh, nature-based settings and activities in a therapeutic uh, format, and more specifically um, in a medical setting and in rehabilitation. So I use um, horticultural activities as uh, various forms of exercise in my work to uh, um, help uh, patients achieve their rehabilitation goals in different ways. Well, we're going to get into that in a lot more detail, but... I'd like to step back just a little bit and have you describe your journey to this work. Who were the earliest people and places and plants that grew you into a person who would see this as a meaningful work and calling in life? Well, I would say my my greatest influence in this way was my, my father and my grandmother. They both had a a profound love of nature and they shared that with me. My grandmother would, you know, share with me the the sweetness of the honeysuckle and Hmm. her yard had a nice garden and she would make wonderful apple pies and feed the birds and teach me about the local birds and, and wildlife that would come around. And my father encouraged that further. And even though he would come home tired from work, he would, you know, I would drag him out to ponds and the beaches and and different places to, you know, check out wildlife. And he was an avid fisherman too. So he would drag me to the beach a lot (laughs) and, uh, you know, explore and lift in the rocks and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and both my parents actually were very supportive, uh, you know, providing books that I can read and, and letting me keep a bunch of critters about during my, my uh, growing up years. Mm -hmm. So they had to tolerate a a little bit from that, but I'm very thankful for, for their support in that way. Yeah. Where were you born and raised? I, I live on Long Island. I've been here all my life out in Suffolk County in um, Huntington and Kings Park. And I currently live in Bohemia, uh, a block away from a, a very large park on Long Island. So I, I use that to go hiking. And I spent a lot of time in the woods growing up. And, and I was an only child. And the woods was my, my playground and, and my companion uh, for many years of my life. So you, you become fond of, of these experiences. Yeah. And so you were raised with these as values in your life as modeled by the adults around you and the spaces available to you. Where do you go from there? Do you start down a path of horticulture or medical-related work? Tell us of that journey. Well, you know, as an adolescent, you sort of you know, you, you, you look away, you look to, to developing your own sense of yourself and what you want to do. And mm. I, uh, I was always interested in, in therapy. 
and uh, psychology and philosophy. So uh, on to college, I, I had studied, uh, I have degrees in philosophy and psychology and a lot of um, religion I studied as well. And um, then it wasn't until later that I sort of dovetailed, you know, back into using um, through the psychology and stuff and, and getting back into using nature as a component of that. Um, I originally worked with um, autistic adults after college in a group home setting. And one of the um, uh, persons that I work with, uh, we would go and take a walk in another large park that was by the group home. And this person could be very challenging at times. And he would often put his head through the wall and, and had caused a lot of medical problems through that. And, but when we would walk in the woods, it was like, uh, you know, a whole different person. And we would walk literally for hours. Sometimes they would come out looking for us because we were gone for so long, but he was, he was fine and, and had, had no issues. And, um, you know, I didn't think twice about it. I, I knew I liked nature and, and it was great that Dave loved nature as well. But then later on, an opportunity came to renovate an old greenhouse on the South shore of Long Island on an old estate right on the bay. And I was like, Oh, this is a great setting. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go for this. You know, it was an 1896 Lord and Burnham greenhouse, Gothic Ooh, style. Yeah. The man built for his wife and, and, uh, Wonderful setting, a golf course now in Catering Hall, but the greenhouse was used by the town and they had different plans. And so I said, why not? I'll go for it. You know, I like nature and you know, I'll see what can happen and, and started working on that. And then I found out a whole community of people are using nature for therapeutic purposes and, you know, found out about the American Horticultural Therapy Association, got involved with them. You know, and then I continued to work there for a couple of years, and I noticed that many of the autistic folks would, you know, be much more calm in the greenhouse setting. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's not just me, that there's a general positive effect of nature and, and that it does have a strong therapeutic possibility. And um, then I went off to uh, Rusk Institute and the Glass Garden, which was an established program, and I've been there for uh, 26 years now. And um, there was a, a, you know, we did some some wonderful work in, in that place and still do. So I'm going to ask a few questions about this, uh, the story you've just related. When you first started working with the group home and the autistic adults there, how old were you at that point, Matt? I was uh, just after undergrad. I was 23 years old. Yeah. And you uh, have this great sort of coming together of both experience and understanding leading you to the place you will then be for the rest of your career. Um, when you decide to go to the Rusk Institute, describe where that is and what that is and describe the Enid Hop Glass House and the program as it existed 26 years ago so that then we can sort of set a context for how your career has deepened and branched. Um, Dr. Rusk is uh, considered one of the founders of rehabilitation medicine, a very open-minded uh, individual and looked at people in a holistic uh, fashion. Mm. And he happened to know Enid Haupt. And so they were talking one day and, and he was like, it would be nice to have a place that might 
patients could go and sort of get off of the clinical floors and, and kind of get away from the, the clinical setting for a little bit, get a little respite. And she offered a greenhouse. And so this greenhouse was built and originally um, staffed by horticulturalists. And then around the, the 70s, a couple of the therapists started to use it in a therapeutic context. And then in the 80s, as uh, the field of horticultural therapy coalesced and, and uh, organizations developed, um, horticultural therapists ran it. And when I started, um, Nancy Chambers was the director, and she's a, and one of the founding mothers of horticultural therapy. And so I um, uh, consider her a, a, you know, a mentor of mine and um, very, very uh, dedicated to the field. And what was wonderful about um, that setting was we had a wonderful team of both staff and volunteers with all different kinds of skill sets. And we were able to do some really good work and create a, a setting that when you, when you walked in, you just, you weren't in the city anymore. You were in a, in a jungle. There were birds chirping and all the different plant collections and the humidity and the warmth. And, mm. and uh, it was a, a special place. And we, we um, were able to do um, a lot of good work there, both uh, from the hospital based originally and then expanding out to offering more uh, community uh, programs as well. Wow. So what would have been the year that the greenhouse originally went in, Matt? It was, uh, I believe, 1958. I believe it was 10 years after Rusk opened in 48, and the greenhouse was built sometime around then. And about how big is it? How many people can you work with at a time in that space? Well, the space had um, an outdoor garden, which was um, eventually turned into an award-winning children's play garden. And then it had an interior courtyard garden where we would hold horticultural therapy groups. And it was also a place that the staff used a lot. They would come at lunch or on their breaks and, you know, get a little respite, sit in a chair and eat their lunch and, and a little break from the rigors of the day. So, I mean, you could fit a fair amount of people in there, not, you know, not hundreds, but maybe a hundred. And, and typically on, a, on when it was busy, maybe 20, 30 people at once would be using the garden, mm-hmm. you know, but if we had a party, you could fit more. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, the neighborhood, it was open to the neighborhood uh, community, which was very nice. And so people would come, nannies and, and the kids. And it was nice that the um, the kids in the hospital got to uh, play with the kids in the neighborhood and everyone yeah. got to be sort of uh, normal, you know, and, mm-hmm. and be a kid, you know, and the, some of the features of the garden allowed for the uh, kids with um, disabling conditions to, to play and be, and be uh, you know, be a kid and enjoy a sandbox, enjoy a swing or a glider that they may never have been able to swing on because of, you know, the special equipment that we had. So it was, it was um, quite nice in that regard. So you talk about how it moved from the kind of medical practitioners making use of the space, and then in the 70s and 80s, as the horticultural therapy field starts to coalesce, um, horticultural therapists are also using the space. Describe a little bit about that first iteration of of horticultural therapy and, you know, some of the specifics of changes you saw in the way the therapy side of, you know, the visitors were using 
the space for therapeutic purposes. And describe a little bit about that coalescing of the field itself, because it, it must have been a very exciting time to be in this work and to see the experimenting and the successes and the potential. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of the reasons why I moved on to the Glass Garden was because of its reputation as a, you know, a, a model program. And and we would receive visitors from all over the world who would come and, and see how we did our work. And as the program grew in, in the 90s and, and we hired more staff and kind of uh, one really nice thing about working in a, in a large medical center is many different types of uh of folks can participate in your program. So you have a lot of opportunity to develop different programs sure. for people with different needs. And that was very exciting and, and, and challenging, but it, fun in a creative way in that, you know, and uh, studying different things and learning different things and then trying it out. And quite often it, it worked well. So it was, you know, nice to kind of see. We, we expanded just from rehab into cardiac rehab, which we hadn't seen before, and then into the community, and then also into other kinds of uh, community programs where we would have interns and students come in and, and do work in the garden. So we were able to expand to a, a, a greater number of uh, populations and, and really broaden the context of treatment and the context of um, providing a positive experience for folks in different ways depending on their needs from medical to, you know, to the community. And so that was very exciting. And of course, you know, in, a, in an academic medical center, you try to write about these things and you try to present. So, you know, we would bring it to conferences and, and try to, you know, disseminate the knowledge that we've gained through our experiences and, and opportunities there at the garden. Can you describe one of the early programs that you, that sort of remain in your in your mind quite vividly, whether it be one of the, you know, cardiac uh, rehabilitation work or the community programs, like specifically when you say we developed this program and we saw successes, like what does that look like? Well, in terms of the, the cardiac program, mm-hmm. um, in conversations with some of the therapists there, and they weren't regular participants like the general rehab groups were. So we were like, well, why not? And so we had a meeting and discussed, and you know, it, it fits quite well. Horticultural therapy impacts lifestyle and, and, and impacts healthy lifestyle in many ways. Diet, stress reduction, exercise, you know, socialization within, you know, garden context. And, and all these things are good for for patients undergoing cardiac rehabilitation. So it fit quite well and developed a program where the patients would come and take a tour of the garden, which emphasized uh, survival and adaptation characteristics. I, I like epiphytes. And, mm. and so we would always point out, you know, how, how this one survives and how that one survives and hope that people kind of take it on themselves. Yeah, what do I need to survive? And, and also emphasizing the sensory aspects and the stories and the meaningful parts that that people can relate to and that enhances that sense of being away and enhances the therapeutic effect Mm. and then after the tour we would go in and and have a little group where we would uh, talk about you know these things you know exercise diet stress reduction and how horticultural settings and activities can help with that and then they would propagate a plant usually a, a hardy 
thing, mostly Chinese evergreens. Mm. And then they would take that home as a memory. And my hope was that as they water their plant, that they think about the things that we spoke about and the things they can do for themselves to help in their rehabilitation. Nice. And of course, then they have this other living thing that they have to care for. And that responsibility, I think lots of studies have shown that just that act of caring for something else triggers all kinds of healthy impulses in us. Yes. My, my uh, psychiatry patients often comment on that in the, in the same way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you are there. Uh, you start there. And tell us how your, your career then evolved and the different branches that you have gone into with this horticultural therapy uh, at its heart, because you you have, I think, three or four different branches of what you do now. In terms of uh, patient care or um, in a general sense? In, well, in a general sense, because I think you take care of different kinds of populations, and you are also very active in the educational aspect of the field as well. Yes. Um, you know, ideally, you know, when you think of, you know, a career and, and goals for a career, for me, it was, well, I want to I want to become a good practitioner. You know, I, I sort of have a very mellow, soothing nature. And hmm. and so that's a good start. And through education, you can develop, you know, skills. Right. So in becoming a good practitioner, then you become able to teach. Right. The next step is, well, if I can do it, maybe I can teach it and help others do it. And so I, you know, strove to to look into those avenues. And I've been uh, teaching in the certificate program at the New York Botanical Garden now for it'll be 25 years come this fall. So, uh, you know, get to work with students and I, and I enjoy that. That's a very rewarding part of of my, my work. And and then it's a matter. Well, you know, we can only sort of teach so many. How can we spread that further? How can I, you know, generalize it even further? And, and that's where. The interest in research comes in and the interest in, in publishing. Uh, I've written a few textbook chapters on, uh, you know, clinical applications of horticultural therapy work and, and developing skill sets in that area. And also through the research to sort of say, hey, look, this works well for this uh, group of people in this population. And, and maybe it's something somebody else might want to try somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So in, in a way, that's been my my striving you know, to, to spread the word a bit and, and to be the best practitioner I can and, and, and help others if they want to, to do this type of work. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Matt Wokrowski is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine and senior horticultural therapist at Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU. Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU has been ranked the best rehabilitation program in New York and one of the top 10 in the country since 1989. Rusk Rehabilitation is among the most renowned centers of its kind for the treatment of adults and children with disabilities. It is home to innovations and advances that have set the standard in rehabilitation care for every stage of life and every phase of recovery. We will be right back for more with Matt. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. 
The ongoing relationship between our state of mind and our state of health, intertwined with our relationship to nature, continues in really interesting ways in this conversation with Matt Wachrowski. Here's a little bit more on the work at Rusk Institute. Horticultural therapy is one of the oldest healing therapies and is a widely recognized form of care for people with physical or mental disabilities. The Rusk Institute launched one of the nation's first horticultural therapy programs in the 1970s with support from Enid A. Haupt, whose philanthropy also made the conservatory named after her there at the New York Botanic Garden what it is today. The Rusk program expanded in the 1990s with the addition of a perennial garden, also funded by Mrs. Haupt. Children and adult patients from each of the Rusk units grows plants, arranges flowers, and makes nature craft projects, gaining a sense of personal accomplishment, productivity, and self-reliance, while guided by trained horticultural therapists. Matt Wachrowski, a senior horticultural therapist there, is also on the faculty at New York Botanic Garden. You may have noticed that Matt keeps speaking about his work in the Enid Hopped Glasshouse in the past tense, due to the fact that the outdoor garden and beautiful glasshouse were badly damaged in the 2012 Hurricane Sandy. Since then, Matt's work has been primarily bedside work from a horticultural cart. We need and we are improved by our nature relations wherever we can get them. Now, back to our conversation with Matt Wachrowski. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back now with Matt Wachrowski, horticultural therapist in clinical settings. As we come back, Matt describes his current clinical practice at the Medical Center Cardiac Rehabilitation, where cognitive and emotional and physical exercises are keys. He also works on an acute care psychiatric ward. Describe your your practitioner side of your work for us. So at the, at the medical center, I work with um, physical rehabilitation and cardiac rehabilitation patients on a medically complex floor, and that's focused on, on, on rehab. So it's, it's exercise, whether it be cognitive in terms of sequencing or memory, um, emotional in terms of uh, lessening anxiety or, or depressive characteristics, and, and physical in terms of um, improving endurance and strength and motor skills. So um, the exercise is important there. And then I also, a couple of days a week, I work in a psychiatric, a like psychiatric ward, um, acute care. So people who, you know, mainly folks who are very depressed, some have contemplated or attempted suicide, uh, some people with personality issues and or other kinds of um, schizoaffective or, or milder forms of schizophrenia. And it's a group program. And um, basically... I look at it as a, um, a diversionary uh, activity. So we don't talk about their issues. We talk about positive things. We talk about using plants as a hobby and as a stress management tool and just a little break from the rest of the day when they have to talk about these things. Hmm. 
And so describe, um, you know, your use of plants in, uh, well, let's start with the hospital setting since you started with that and um, you described the exercise and on a both cognitive and physical level and from there how do plants come in do you take people out do you take plants in what do they do with them give us the the tangible of like what does this look like and feel like for the psychiatric group i bring a cart it's a cart based program on the locked or on a locked ward so i bring uh you know, maybe 10 or 15 plants in the soil and the pots and, and the other accoutrements. And um, we do a little lecture. We talk about the plants and, and meaningful um, information about them right. and interesting facts and, of course, how to take care of them. Right. And then they're able to pick something they like, something that's maybe suitable for their situation. I, I always say right plant in the right place. Right. <laughs> and uh, And they make that, you know, that wow moment. And it's like, Oh, so if I take care of that plant, I can take care of myself or, well, yeah, this is, this is a way I can, I can, you know, handle stress in my life. So it's a, you know, a, I find it a rewarding program and, and, um, the other clinicians on the floor tend to value it as well. One of the reasons being that sometimes folks who may be not ready to be verbally in therapy, they're still in the midst of a psychotic episode, they can come to the group and, and not necessarily have to plant, but just be there and experience it and, and communicate by doing. And, and this is something that's a nice feature of that. And, and the other clinicians on the floor um, appreciate that. And they will often refer people at the beginning stages to the group um, just to kind of uh, give them a nice, uh, you know, easing into to the more exploratory phases to come. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of plants were on your cart most recently? Well, I, I generally bring an assortment of tropicals uh, and vary from sometimes hardies to sometimes exotic. Coffee. Coffee's a big one because there's a great story behind coffee. And everyone, even people who don't want to want to take the coffee plant will listen to the story and, and say, wow, I'm glad I learned that. And other hardy stuff, you know, for folks who, you know, may not be able to look after their plant in the best fashion. So I like to provide stuff that's going to stick around for you. Mm-hmm. And, and quite often, you know, unfortunately, you see people again and, and some of these, um, you know, conditions are somewhat chronic. And mm-hmm. you might run into somebody a couple of years up the road when when life has become challenging and, and they've they've had some trouble. But they'll they'll always say, you know, I still have that plant <sighs> and it's like this big now. So I really love getting report from from patients and and how their plants have have grown over the years. And, you know, sometimes they lose them and they'll tell me that. And then, well, now you can make another and we'll try again. And uh, so it's a a nice, nice feature of it. Okay, so now I want to hear the story of the coffee plant, Matt. (laughs) The coffee, right? Well, the goat herder. This is an oral story around the year 1000. Okay. And a goat herder would notice his goats would eat these certain berries and and this is in Ethiopia, for all places, where you, you wouldn't, you know, Saudi Arabia, you wouldn't think that coffee comes from there. Most people say Colombia, Brazil, when I ask. And so the goat herder would notice his goats eating berries and getting frisky and frolicky. And one day he was tired. He's like, you know, I'm going to try those berries. And, and he, he ate them and he didn't get sick. He didn't die. And he got frisky. And so... It started the tradition of eating raw coffee beans, and sometimes they would they would make a paste and eat it as a kind of 
probably gross tasting coffee ball, you know. And then the story continues that the goat herder, as you pass through certain territories in that part of the world, you gave a gift to the man in charge. Look, just passing through a little something for you. I'll be gone in the morning, not causing any trouble. And he gave the man coffee beans. And the man looked and he said, people bring me gold and silver and silk. And you bring me this? What is this? And the man got mad. He threw him in the fire and they roasted in the fire. And when the smell came up, they were like, that smells heavenly. Fish those out of there. They got them out. Maybe they broke them up and made some kind of tea type beverage. And that's the first relating of drinking coffee as a beverage. Sometimes it's told that, that the monks kind of, you know, initiated as well to stay up and copy manuscripts, you know. But And then we, we talk about civet coffee, the most expensive coffee in the world. You know, and, and the, the, you know, that civets eat coffee beans and they poop out the seed, you know, the bean itself. And and that's one hundred and fifty dollars a pound. And uh, so people usually get a kick out of that, that that poop, poop coffee is, is expensive. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, so, so there's, yeah, there's humor and horticulture. Oh, of course. You have to have humor and all things, really, you know, especially the heavy things. Yeah, yeah. So... In your cart-based therapy on this psychiatric ward, do you have people of all ages? And how long have you been involved in this program, in that iteration of it? I've been doing that program for probably about 20 years now. Wow. And it's uh, it's an adult floor, so, you know, 18 and up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and generally, people of all ages uh, participate. And, and usually, they, they encourage other folks to participate. You know, they... They let them know and they often drag them to class. Just, you know, try it. You're going to like this. And, and they do. And uh, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a, a popular group. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes you have folks who are having some really serious difficulties, you know, say with uh, recalcitrant uh, depression. And, and they may be in for electroconvulsive therapy, which has gotten mm-hmm. a lot better these days and is a lot more uh, fine-tuned and and less peripheral damage. So it, it really works well for some people. And and so, you know, we get the older folks in, in this situation who come and attend the group. And it's uh, it's good, good for the social interaction. And, and uh, it encourages people to kind of uh, come out a little bit from, from the shells that often develop in these situations. Yeah, I mean, you. I don't know a gardener who doesn't say, you know, on a bad day, if I just go out to the garden and just start somewhere, just water something or dig something or deadhead something, it just, everything gets a little better. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So in the hospital-based uh, setting for your practitioning side, what kinds of actual activities do you engage in with plants? Do you take people out? Do you bring plants in? Is it a combination of both? What does that look like? Well, initially, you know, when we had the outside space with the uh, glass garden, it would be whatever um, was seasonally appropriate and up to the interest of the patient. So we would take people out and uh, do things outside, um, you know, when the weather permitted, of course, inside when the weather didn't permit. Now, my side of the program, um, I, I, you know, the cardiac rehab and, and psychiatry, and I also work in um, epilepsy. Um, it's all cart-based. Okay. And so, 
you know, I, I collect up, a, you know, my group of plants and, and, and bring that to, to the different people and, and do mostly bedsides. You know, the, the rehabilitation and the epilepsy program are uh, bedsides. So I visit them, you know, in their rooms, whereas the Psyca program is a group program. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Matt Wachrowski is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine and a senior horticultural therapist at Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU's Langoni Health. The Rusk Institute's Enid A. Hopped Glass Garden was built in 1958 as part of the Rusk Institute of Rehabilitation. The glass garden provided horticultural therapy for patients, but was also open to the public. It contained a 17,000-square-foot greenhouse at 34th Street and 1st Avenue in New York City. The garden was a gift from Enid A. Hopped. We'll be back for more with Matt Wachrowski. Stay with us. So thinking out loud here, I was really struck by Matt's observations and the research results about the improvement in overall attitude and outlook for patients and medical staff in rooms with more nature imagery. Not even nature herself, but images of her soothing our reptilian brains. This positive feedback loop harkens back for me to my clear understanding that I am just a better person overall when I get time outdoors, in my garden, on a trail, playing with flowers, mucking around in the compost pile. I'm more patient. I'm a better listener. I'm more cheerful. I'm more careful. Think of the power of this played forward on any order of magnitude. What we put out into the world, we know, comes back to us, is reflected back at us. So if you needed no other affirmation whatsoever as to why you need your daily dose of green in your garden, remember, it does in fact change the world for the better in this one very simple way. And it plays out from there, ever greenly. Hey, speaking of putting our green love out in the world, I am now on the road for the next six weeks, essentially, And I'd very much like to connect with you on all things green in person along the way. This week, I'm in Seattle at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. Next week, on March 4th, I'm in Amherst, Mass. at the Ecological Landscape Association's annual conference. On March 5th, I'm at Long Hill House and Garden for an evening talk with the trustees of the reservation. And on the 7th, I'm at Harvard University's Arnold Arboretum as part of a morning-long symposium entitled Cultivating Space, Women in Horticulture and Spacemaking where I'll be in conversation with other women leaders in greening communities. For all of my speaking events, times, places, ticket information, and more, make sure to check out the March View From Here newsletter coming out this weekend, or follow along with updates happening all the time at the events tab on cultivatingplace.com. I really hope to see you out there. Now, back to our conversation with Matt Wachrowski, horticultural therapist. 
This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back now with Matt Wachrowski, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine and a senior horticultural therapist at Rusk Rehabilitation. As we come back, Matt is sharing with us some of the research results and collected data on the impacts of horticultural therapy in these clinical settings. Well, one of the, the first projects that, that um, was with the cardiac uh, rehabilitation folks, and, and so um, we compared a group of, of the patients um, who would come to the greenhouse with a group of patients who attended um, a different type of uh, patient education lecture. And we used uh, blood pressure and a questionnaire called the POMS, which is a profile of mood states. And so before and after the, their sessions, they would be given these questionnaires and, and have their uh, blood pressure measured. And the folks who came to the greenhouse had significantly lower blood pressure and also um, a decrease in the agitation subscale of the POMS questionnaire. So um, supportive of stress reduction of the the project. Um, So that was published in the Journal of Cardiac Rehabilitation um, in 2005. So that was a very nice project that we were able to to write up and, and get published. And, you know, I remember... One of the patients, uh, and uh, a woman who came to the greenhouse uh, for the first time, she was a little reluctant. And another patient, you know, commented on her. She says, you know, this is the first time I've seen you smile all week. We've been together all week in the gym and in different, you know, parts of our rehab. And this is the first time I've seen you smile. Yes. And um, it's, it sort of, again, supports uh, what the data also supported in terms of the stress reduction. And quite often, one of the reasons why we initiated the project was that the physicians would notice the patients in good moods when they came back. You know, where were you? You were in the greenhouse. Wow, we've got to look into that and see, you know, see what's going on down there. So that was a nice project. And more recently, um, just finishing a project where we use nature imagery in the hospital rooms. Mm. Not always the best of views um, in, in the older buildings. And so the research indicates that, you know, views of nature are healthful and healing, but that even images of nature can also provide, uh, you know, an effect. And so we put um, different kinds of biophilic nature posters and a nature bed curtain in certain rooms. And we had control rooms as well in, you know, similar parts of the unit and on the same sides of the floor. And we did a satisfaction and room evaluation uh, questionnaire. And so um, we got significant results in, in that the people with the nature imagery in the rooms were slightly more satisfied with the space on, on a bunch of different dimensions. And uh, there, were, there were some trends also in terms of satisfaction with the quality of care as well. Hmm. Um, so, you know, when people can't get to nature, um, you know, we try to bring it to them in whatever way we can. Right. The, and I'm sure that last piece of information uh, in which there was the slightly higher satisfaction rate with the room, but also with the care given, is correlated to both the mind frame and perception of the patient, but also potentially 
the correlation with the decreased stress and better mood of the practitioners in those rooms at those times. If that's a possibility as well, the, the yeah. you know Singh was very supportive of of the inclusion of the imagery in the rooms, and um, we often comment anecdotally that you know you know, and in fact, uh, one of the posters is now in, in the uh, the nurse manager's room. Well, she took that right away as soon right. as we were done. <laughs> <laughs> but but another important thing is is that we found something um, what I call a green effect. And it was that the patients in the rooms with the nature imagery rated certain conditions of their room, which were the same in both the nature imagery and the control, such as cleanliness, such as like cluttering and and a couple other dimensions that we we assessed. And they rated them higher as well. Mm. Temperature, even though they were the same. But I think that the presence of nature imagery kind of created a, a positive shift in perception in a certain way. And so it's something that, you know, I'd like to look into in the, in the future, something that's promising in, in, in a few applications. Yeah. It's funny, though. There's part of me that's listening to this, and I've, I've read about this research before, and we've talked about it with um, Florence Williams, who wrote a book called Nature Fix, and she reported on a lot of the studies coming out of big urban areas in Asia and um, other parts of the world and the effectiveness of this nature imagery. And part of me is a little skeptical, Matt, that I don't want this used as a form of manipulation uh, to make, you know, workers in dark cubicle rooms happier for longer periods of time for the, you know, bottom line of a large corporation. And I also don't want it to be used in replacement for the actual real thing of dirt and fresh air and sun and green plants and rain. And so I I love the fact that it's true, but I also don't I I am I'm worried about it being misused. Um, I don't know. So I just sort of had to express that. Yes, that's quite understandable. You know, I myself, you know, you you can't replace real nature. You can't replace Mm-mm. the smell of of the compost and and all those all those wonderful things. And in my purpose, it was really, you know, to bring nature to places where. The people again can't get to right. it, and, and and as an aid in in, in healing, and as an aid in, in um, yeah. getting people through a difficult time. Yeah. In your, um, I want to go back to the plants on the cart. You've told us about one. Give us some specific like names and what you like about some of the other plants you routinely use uh, in these settings. Pothos, for one, because yeah. of its ex- extreme hardiness, and also. It propagatable through um, single node cuttings, so it's a you know nice lesson to teach and and add on. Um, you have aloe, which is uh, mm. also very popular. Um, you can you know delve into um, the medicinal aspects of it if that's appropriate in, in your particular situation, but a relatively easy uh, succulent to grow. Um, crotons very popular because of the color. And we also have a lot of Caribbean folks in the hospital and, and uh, familiar with crotons from growing up mm-hmm. so um, those are those are popular Fitonia because of its colorful leaves is is also um, a good one different uh, peperomias 
Um, and then the flowering plants, you, you know, people love flowers. And so seasonally, I try to incorporate flowering plants when available and um, some calanchos or African violets in the winter. Mm. Uh, I like the sensory things. So I'll bring in herb seedlings come, you know, May for for that time and and let people, um, you know, if they want to pick some herbs to grow in containers or as perennials, um, I'll offer those up and we can talk about diet, mostly to have a range because sometimes people... People have, you know, different um, things hit them in different ways. Yeah. So yeah. you bring something that somebody's like, wow, oh, I love that one. And somebody else, no, I love that one. Right. And so it's nice to have those options. Yeah. And, and each plant touches somebody in a different way. So it's, it's very individual how we relate to nature. So you've been at this a very long time and you have shared both as an educator and a practitioner this work with many, many, many people. Maybe in the context of your, well, I'll just in, in any context in your long experience now, what have been some of your greatest surprises in this work? Um, you know, one thing that I often am still surprised with is how some people react to the opportunity to plant. And, um, you know, they've been in the hospital, they've had a rough time, and, and all of a sudden this person shows up with a, a cart of plants. And, and you know, I've, I enjoy it myself, and I've seen people react over the years, but it, it never amaz- ceases to amaze me how, you know, somebody lights up sometimes and, and sometimes almost even comes to tears um, at mm. the opportunity to plant something. And, um, sometimes it's from an educational standpoint, you know, whether it's the coffee story or just, you know, where does this come from? Where does that come from? And you have the plant to show it and people just, you know, those wow moments are, are present and, and, and those are, are quite enjoyable. And it's something that, that keeps me going, you know, even through the rougher times. Yeah. You, um, you have taught many, many students, and I think you were awarded uh, the 2013 American Horticultural Society uh, Great American Gardeners Award for Horticultural Therapy. As you look at your many, many students in this time that we find ourselves in right now, both environmentally and culturally, um, what are like what are your greatest hopes? to offer those students in the importance of this work, Matt? Well, I see a lot of interest in in younger generations, and I think that's very important for not only the development of horticultural therapy as a field, but also, you know, for the environment and the world in general. And it's very refreshing, um, you know, to see that, that interest. And the fact that a lot of research is coming out and, and that the field is starting to gel. A lot of interest in Asia and Europe and green care in Europe is big. And and certainly with the refugee situation here and there, it's uh, um, offered a lot of opportunities for horticultural therapy development. Um, but the fact that we need to still go further and sort of go from you know, performing, uh, you know, decent studies to performing, you know, RCTs and, and having uh, meta-analysis and and, um, and studies like that, that really, you know, talk to the fundraisers and, and the people who can, you know, initiate programming in, in their particular settings. So we, we, we've come a long way, even just recently, but we still have to cross a few thresholds 
Um, and and the, the enthusiasm in, uh, in the younger folks is kind of very refreshing in, in that way. And I'm hoping that they're able to, to carry it that step further and really kind of uh, make it into a, a mainstream therapy for the future. Like, as you mentioned before, the cities are growing and we've just tipped uh, the majority of people live in cities and urban mm-hmm. now. And, you know, we need to not lose that nature. And, and as, as that part grows, we need to build it in to urban settings. There's lots of urban farms, lots of green walls. Um, there's lots of opportunities to incorporate nature, even in urban settings. And so um, I hope that this remains a priority and uh, folks are looking to continue that process. Yeah, yeah. How many orchids do you have in your collection, Matt? <laughs> I have uh, uh, 60 plus Wow. Um, mostly miniatures. So I only wow. have two small rooms in my, not small, but you know, small to medium rooms. I have a, a cottage and, and, but they're plant rooms. And so I have, you know, adorned on the walls, many uh, bromeliads, orchids and such. And, you know, the, the advent of, you know, LED lighting now has kind of uh, created lots of opportunities in that way, because you can, you know, not worry about, you know, shorten out your electrical system and burning your house down <laughs> and still have light, you know, it. enough to to keep everyone happy, so to speak. And I have maybe 250 plus plants altogether. Wow. Um, many, many I've had for, for over 20 years. Um, they, they tend to do well by me and they stick around. Yeah. The effects of even one plant going into a psychiatric ward, it just, it makes me happy and hopeful, Matt. So it's good. Yeah. Good. I'm, I'm involved. In a project now, I'll be going to Iraq in September um, with this foundation out of Germany and and a German colleague of mine. And uh, he's put together a a team, international team, and we're going to work with the the therapists and teachers who work with this group called the Yazidi who were um, targeted by Saddam Hussein and ISIS and terribly brutalized. And um, so this place is like a social service agency for them, and they have a therapy garden in Cham Chamal, uh, in, in Iraq. And, um, so, uh, the team will be going out in, in smaller groups, one or two of us at a time, uh, and do, do some training of the trainers there so that they can work with, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Yazidi folks and try to overcome, uh, you know, some of the trauma they've been through a lot of, um, PTSD and some terrible things they've, they've, uh, had to endure. Um, so it's a really pretty garden with, with lots of animals and I'm looking forward to, to that. I'm nervous about it, of course. And we were supposed to go in May. Um, but because of, you know, the situation over there becoming a little, a little more shaky, uh, we postponed, but September it should be on. And so I'm quite excited about that and to work with this team and to, you know, just sort of, I don't know, put my little drop in the healing bucket, so to speak, and, you know, try to, you know, uh, try to, you know, whatever, just add to the healing somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Whatever. Good work. Well, we'll hope very much to um, hear an update on how that goes and uh, upon your safe return. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'd love to see photos or yeah, just hear a report on how that that goes. So good luck with that. Thank you very much. Is there anything else you would like to add at this time? Um, I'm quite, again, quite pleased that to be invited to to speak with you. And I think that your 
you know, your program and, and bringing out uh, the therapeutic effects of nature and those who use it in different ways is, is very important. So um, I, I wish you the best in your work and, and, and please, uh, you're very appreciated and continue on in, in, your, in your role here. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It was lovely to speak with you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Matt Wachrowski is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine and senior horticultural therapist at Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU's Langoni Health. He has been on the ground and in the field for the length of his career. Join us again next week when we finish up our series on healing gardens and therapeutic landscape and at the same time kick off our Women's History Month series. Each week in March, we'll be featuring one of the 75 women profiled in my book, The Earth in Her Hands, 75 Extraordinary Women Working in the World of Plants, which publishes on March 3rd, 2020. There are so many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. And hey, Chico family and friends, I'm so looking forward to seeing you in person for the book launch celebration this Sunday, March 1st, at the Chico Women's Club from 1 to 3.30. I'd love to thank you in person for all the support you've given me these past many years. It's free, but if you're not registered, head to mynspr.org and get registered. See you there. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. Over on cultivatingplace.com this week, make sure to check out the many photos of Matt's work in clinical settings and in his own home therapy work with his many orchids. I think you'll like them. Check it out. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Executive producer is Sarah Bohannon. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Oh, oh, I love you more and more. Oh, 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 oh I love you more.